Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Metal Mike here, and in this episode of the 80s Glam Metal Cast, we talk to Babylon AD vocalist and solo artist Derek Davis. We talk about the new projects he's involved with, and we go back to Babylon discussing the classic albums by Babylon AD. Check it out. Well, Derek, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. Great. Great to have you. So, Derek, you got a brand new single out. It's under the name Derek Davis and the Revolutionary Souls. It's called The Pandemic yeah. Blues, uh, The Summer Days. What do you want to tell everybody about it? Uh, you know, I think everybody's kind of feeling about the same way as I do, you know, just, uh, starting, you know, you get really bored and you're pulling your hair out. So that's kind of how the, the whole song started with just me playing guitar and sitting around just about three weeks ago and, I uh, came up with the idea and I, you know, I just felt that uh, it would be a good song for, to introduce the band, uh, to the rest of the world with, you know, uh, this is a, it's a really cool band that I have, you know, I've got, uh, Great players in the band, some of the best players in the Bay Area that are in the band. So, uh, you know, I've got a great keyboard player, drummer, bass player, and guitar player, and plus there's me, and I play a little bit big guitar too. Um, the band's only been together for about really six months or so. We've only played two gigs. Uh, you know, we had a bunch of gigs lined up, but they all, of course, got canceled. We've right. already missed like four gigs. So, uh, you know, we're just hoping this thing gets over with so that we can get out there and start, you know, promoting what we've got to, what we got to show, you know? Will this lead to a full album at some point, Derek? Yeah, we're, we're working on new material right now. Right now we actually have uh, four more songs. Um, but it's going to take a while. You know, the band is, like I said, uh, us, us. this this version of, of, of the band is only, you know, six months old maybe at the most. Um, so it's going to take a while. Me and the keyboard player, uh, we write, you know, all the, all the songs and everything like that. And, of course, we do a lot of covers too, and most of the covers are pretty... Uh, pretty different like we do stuff by war and uh stevie wonder and um all the way to bob marley to uh shoot you almost you know al green james brown i mean turns Trent darby so we do a lot of cross between stuff the band is really soulful and uh so we we've got um you know it's, it's a little bit different than stuff i've done before you know it's a cross between reggae rock and soul i you know if i had to put my thumb on it yeah, what I'll do is uh, I'll post a video. I'll I'll post a link of this video because people got to see the video. Because like you said, it's got a reggae vibe. It's a wild track, but the video is crazy. When you guys are in masks and in suits, and there's all kinds yeah. of sci-fi shit going on, it's a wild video. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it was fun making that video, man. You know, it took it only take about three days to get the whole thing together, but uh, yeah, it was really fun doing that video. You know. Now, in 2019, you put out another solo album, uh, Resonator Blues, and I got to say, man, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I'll be honest. I didn't know if I I would like it or not, and I checked it out, and man, I I really loved it. I mean, your voice is there. It's you, but it's just a little bit more bluesier music. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I've I've always wanted to put out a blues album, um, you know, and, and I've been working on that material for quite a long time, different at different points in my, 
you know, over the last five years, you know, I'd, I'd write a couple songs that were in a bluesy type of vein, and I'd do some battle AD stuff, and I'd write a soul song or something, or a pop song, and then I'd write a couple more blues songs, and when I got about 11 songs all together, I said, okay, well, you know, I've got, I've got a product here, you know, and I thought I had some pretty strong stuff, so, uh, we put that out, put the album out last year, and it, it did really well. You know, it got the it had a number one single at the on the blues charts, which is the first time I ever had anything like that before. So that was very surprising for me, you know, because I'm really known for more of a rock musician, you know. But uh, so yeah, it, it's it's real, I'm, and we're still doing some of that, uh, some of the songs in uh, in my new band, you know. So we're keeping that stuff alive too. Was the song that went number one on the blues charts, Mississippi Mud? Yep. Yeah. It was. Yeah. That that's awesome, man. And I'll I'll once again I'll put a link to that one in the video too because that's that's a killer track. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. That one I did. I actually uh, recorded it uh, a while back, and I, I had that in my pocket for a long time. Um, and Jamie played. Uh, you know, my drummer from Babylon. He played the drums on it, and the the video is pretty cool. You know, it's an exterior outside video by by a river running behind us. It, it's it's got that swampy kind of bluesy feel to it so it, it's a cool song and um i was just really surprised that it went number one you know i seen it climbing up, climbing up the, the blues singles charts but heck i was happy just get in the top 40 right. <laughs> you know? i was like every day i'd wake up and i check it again i go hell this thing's climbing man <laughs> when it hit number one i had to toot my horn and send it to everybody you know like a uh a, a quick uh photocopy of it and send it to everybody that i knew so you know it only lasted a couple of days, you know, but it still felt good. You know, here I am with, you know, Ella Fitzgerald and, you know, all these old old blues get, blues cats, but, uh, you know, some some other guys, you know, uh, Eric Clapton and Muddy Waters and people like that, and you're like, wow, this is weird, you know? Yeah, if somebody told you that 30 years ago, I, I, you probably wouldn't believe it, right? Yeah, I wouldn't have believed it. I, you know, the funny thing is, 30 years ago, I hated blues. <laughs> I didn't even like blues, you know? Um, and I think it's just because I couldn't really see what it was. All the blues bands that I'd ever seen were just like, you know, some uh, white guys up there on stage with ponytails, and they played blues really bad, and all I heard was dun 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 you know? Yeah. And it wasn't until I started, like, checking out uh, how to play fly guitar and harmonica players like Sonny Boy Williamson and, um, you know, Sunhouse and, and uh, Robert Johnson and stuff like that. I started... started uh, researching that stuff and started listening to it that I was like, wow, I missed a whole, it seemed like I missed a whole genre here, you know? All I did was jump from soul to hard rock, you know? And, and now I was discovering something new. So I taught myself how to play slide guitar and I, you know, I just immersed myself in the blues for a while. You know, there's, there's still some pretty crappy blues stuff out there, but, and a lot of people still have that same idea that I had, you know? But, uh, you know, if you really think about it, the best rock bands, you know, that, that have ever been really are all, Blues, blues influence, you know, Stones, people like that, you know. Yeah, Zeppelin, yeah, and even, um, even the Doors uh, later on in their career got Doors, real deep into the blues. Yeah, I know? mean, almost anybody in the late sixties, seventies, you know, Fleetwood. I mean, you could go on forever, you know. Um, you can just go on forever. People that were influenced by the blues, you know. For sure. What's going on with Babylon AD? Uh, I thought I read you guys were working on new music as well. Well, we've actually got probably. We probably have about 12 songs written, but for me, it's like, just because you have them written and and, and we recorded those demos, you know, you sit back and listen to them after a while and you go, you know, this song's really not that good. I don't want to put that out. So, you know, 
if I was to be honest with you, I'd say we have a handful of maybe five or six songs that are that are strong enough to hit a record, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, it's going to take a while for that, you know. Um, all the guys are kind of—I can't say semi-retirement, but we're just kind of—we're uh, just kind of kicking back, you know. We're just doing stuff a lot slower than we used to, you know. Nobody wants to go on the road or anything like that, you know. It's just too—it's too cumbersome, mm-hmm. you know. I'm a little bit older. Everybody's got good jobs or you know, houses, house payments, and things like that. So we're not a bunch of kids that can run around and live in hotel rooms for four hundred dollars a week, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, it, I can't say it's it's over, but it's just kind of kind of like on the back burner, you know. Yeah. I'm kind of doing both, you know, writing songs for both, you know. Well, let's talk a little both bit about the uh, the debut album, because to me, man. This is definitely one of the best debuts of the late 80s. I mean, I think every song on that album is great. How do you feel looking back on that yeah. album? Looking back on the album, uh, you know, I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I, I kind of agree with you, you know. Um, when it came out, I was, uh, I knew that we had really good songs, but I wasn't really happy with the production, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, as the years go by and I listen to other stuff that was made during the during that period, you know, from like say 88 to 90, 91, that the sound and the quality and everything. Yeah. I think we were a lot stronger and better than almost most of the bands I've heard, you know, um, Simon Hanhart produced that record. I thought he did a great, great job listening back. But as of when we were recording the record, I didn't really think it was that good. It, it might've just because it took so damn long mm-hmm. to do. And he was such a stickler, you know, he comes from the Bob rock type of, um, he learned from Bob rock. So he had that, that, you know, double all the guitars, double all the vocals, you know, do the vocal lines like this instead of singing the whole song, you know. So it was it was quite a learning curve for us um, at the time. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, man. I, you know, every once in a while I listen to that, that album, and people tell me the same thing you tell me. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a very strong record, you know, especially for a debut, you know. Yeah, and I can say, I mean, obviously I bought it when it came out, but there's a lot of albums I bought when they came out and I don't really want to listen to them today as much, but that one, I don't know. To me, it's just, I think as you dig deeper into the album, uh, there's, there's a lot of great deep tracks, you know, especially you get to the end and it's just a powerhouse all the way through. Yeah. And there's, there's some pretty cool stuff on there. There's a little, you know, it's not all just one thing when you've got a song like Sally danced on there, you know, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You know, you've got some blues and some harmonica stuff in there and then you've got the, you know, you got some blistering solos on Marianne, stuff like that, some good harmonies. And then you've got, of course, the hooky stuff like Bangle the Bells and Hammer Swings Down, Kid Goes Wild, stuff like that, you know. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's it's kind of diverse. You know, I wrote, I wrote almost half that record with Jack Tawney, you know. So it did have sort of like a New Jersey Bon Jovi-ish kind of vibe to it a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, that formula, I guess you would say, you know, it wasn't really like L.A. style of a real dirty, grungy, faster pussycat type of stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think it's, it's, it stood the test of time anyways, you know, um, now that I, I look back and I, I think about it, you know, um, and I see how many people feel the same way, you know, and it's pretty surprising. It's pretty cool, too. And I know it's still, it, the funny thing is, you know, I get my ASCAP checks every three months, <laughs> and, you know. Songs are still selling. People are still buying the shit. So That's awesome. <laughs> How do you think Arista did uh, for the label? I mean, they did put out three singles, which was pretty generous, I think, for a new band at that time. How, how do you think they did? Yeah, you know, it, that's kind of like a hit and miss kind of thing because the problem was 
like Arista didn't have the people that were working for them like that Jeffen had or, or, or Atlanta had, you know, at that time. They didn't have the cool dudes that went out to the clubs and went out to, um, to the radio stations and hung out with the guys and, and formed that bond. It was, it was basically like we were the guinea pig for the hard rock. We were the first band that they'd signed to hard rock. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They had, you know, Barry Manilow and Whitney Houston Whitney, and, yep. you know, Kenny G and all this other shit. And, and you know, here we come along, you know, and, and Clive was like, we're going to break these guys. You know, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. But, the interaction of the company of the people that worked there, they weren't geared for that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They didn't have relationships built, built with, you know, KOME and all the KSCO and all the big stations, um, you know, KNAC, all the, all, you know, so, so they had to work on that where other labels for other bands at the same time, if you were on Geffen anyways, you know, that's just, uh, because they, they were the best at promoting, um, you know, they lack that, you know, so we got, we definitely got attention, and they definitely spent money on us. But they, I just think that the people that were working in the PR department really didn't know what to think of us, you know, because they didn't have any rock bands, so it was like an experiment for them, kind of. Yeah. You know. You know, and sometimes uh, a lot of these albums, I always used to think the singles that they released really weren't the best songs. But I'd say for you guys, I mean, I, I like all the songs, but the singles are very strong, very strong songs. Well, thank you. You know, I think it also hurt, hurt us in, in a way. Uh, of course, we were we were stuck in, in where everybody hit at the same time, right. right? So, and we hit right at the same time too. But I think that we were about six months behind the curve on releasing a ballad because when we got when we got a record deal, Clive came up to me and he said, "This song, Desperate, we're going to make this a number one song." And him and I talked about it for at length, right? Mm-hmm. And then she said, "But we're going to release it third you know, because we're going to build you guys' momentum up. So that was always the plan. For a whole year, that was the plan, right? And then then or- Orion Pictures approached us and said, hey, we want to put uh, Goes Wild, and, we want- and we'll pay for half the video, you know, and they talked Arista into, like, fronting all the money for it and everything. And But we were like, well, wait a minute, I thought we were going to do Desperate. And they were like, well, let's do this one first, you know? And yeah. it was like, oh, man, I don't know. Our album's been out a freaking year, you know? I mean, we better get to Desperate right now and then how about this? this song but they, on the timetable it didn't work so by the time Kid Goes Wild came out you know and then they were going to be desperate they were like alright the album's been out 16 months now uh, why don't you guys go, go do another record mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. we were pretty pissed off and bummed out and let down because we knew Desperate was a strong song everybody did you know and, and radio stations that we'd go in and do interviews with would say how come you're not putting Desperate out you know and we were like well, you know, we have to try to make up a stupid, dumb mistake. You know, tell them it's a, a excuse, sorry, uh, and you know, make up something and this or that, whatever. But it uh, so that's what I mean about the PR part. You know, they they really didn't understand. You know, if they would have jumped on desperate, probably put it second or third, second, maybe yeah. would have had a chance to survive and become a you know multi-selling platinum record out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of just going gold. You know what I mean? We, we, because right, right about that time, uh, ballads were, were pretty strong on the radio, you know, and then and we didn't have one, you know. We were almost a year behind everybody else for, for uh, putting, a, putting a ballad out, even if we were going to, you know. So it was we kind of missed our shot, you know. But you did get to hang out with RoboCop. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that is true. <laughs> Thank you for your cooperation. Um. <laughs> 
definitely. Man. Thanks for Kinnison. That, that's cool. Oh, Kinnison. Yeah, how did I forget Kinnison? Of course. Um, you know, here's another one. I, and let me ask you if anyone's ever brought this to your attention. But to me, back in Babylon, it sounds like Metallica liked that song. It sounded like Enter Sandman a little bit. You hear it? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I never thought about that before, but yeah. Yeah? Now that I think about it, yeah, I hear like some bells and stuff like that, right? Yeah, you know how they start with the toms in the beginning of Yeah, right. Yeah. I think Metallica stole something from you, man. That's what I'm thinking, because did, didn't that really album get released in 92? Yeah, or 91 or something. Yeah, 90s, <laughs> early 90s, yeah. I think it was released after ours, yeah. Well, those guys are some from, some from the same neck of the woods that we are. When All we right. were kids, we used to... We used to go to, you know, house parties and stuff like that, and they'd be playing in, like, somebody's garage, and you know, we'd be playing over here at somebody else's garage, you know, uh, you know, before they even made their first record, or get, you know, and when they did make their record, you know, all of us in the Bay Area were like, hell, shit, these guys made their first record. How could you do that? You know, we we, we didn't know that you could make your own record, you know. They got right. some money together, and some, uh, they got their parents to give them some money to make a record, and they made a record, you know. Same, almost the same thing with Motley Crue, but we didn't have the uh, the money or the balls or no knowledge <laughs> how to do it, you know. And then we got to talk about Sally Dance. We talked about that a little bit, but man, what you got? You got some very emotional vocals on that one. It's got a cool story. That, that's a killer tune. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. So, what about Second Coming? How do you feel uh, about that one? About what? Second Coming. Second Coming. What's that? And you're so crazy, fool. Oh, nothing sacred. Sorry, I'm thinking your second album, nothing sacred. <laughs> <laughs> the second album, nothing sacred. It is the second. It is. Coming, it, was your, it was your second coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that was that was a fun record to do. Unlike the first record, which was a pain in the ass. You know, I mean, we got a lot of trouble in that first record. You know, uh, just uh, being stupid and drinking too much and partying too much and mm -hmm. going over, over running on the record, you know, cause you, you know, be filling your head like you're a rock star, that kind of shit. You start believing it. But by the time we did the uh, second album, we were a little bit more uh, grown up and, um, you know, we, I'd always wanted to work with Tom Worman my whole life, you know, right. since I was a kid listening to records and listening to Cheap Trick and the Baby and Ted Nugent and stuff like that. And every time I turned the record over, it was, Ted, it was uh, Tom Worman, you know, I was like, fuck, man, I can't wait to work. Someday we're, you know, that was my dream to work with Tom Worman. And we hit him up and he liked our, our songs and he was like, yeah, I'll produce you guys. And I'm like, holy shit, man. So that, that was really cool because working with him was uh, uh, very, very cool. He got, we got a lot of knowledge from him and um, uh, Eddie Kim, the, uh, the, um, the sound engineer guys that worked there. Um, I was in there every single day from day and night, worked on everything with uh, everybody, you know. Um, Tom even said we should give you a producer's credit, and I said, no, 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 man, <laughs> there's no freaking way. Um, but uh, it, it was really cool, man. Um, and then that album, we kind of got screwed on that a little bit, too, right. you know, because while we were making that record, Nirvana came out, you know? Yeah. And then we were sitting in the studio making our album, and Nirvana's on MTV, and they're, and they're doing their thing, and then Soundgarden comes out, these other, you know, all these Seattle bands come out, and we're still in the studio making our record, you know? So by the time our record came out, well, hell, man, it was like we were out on the road for like about eight months or a year, and people were coming up to go and saying, almost laughing at us, like, oh, how does it feel to be a hair band? And the first couple times I heard that, I was like, what the fuck are they talking about, hair band? What? Right. Does that yeah. mean we have hair? I'm, I'm lost. I don't get it. Because 
I didn't watch MTV. You know, I, I you know when you're on the bus for fucking months at a time, you're not watching MTV and shit like that. Right. So if that's the thing that people are saying, I wouldn't have no clue. You know what I mean? I'm kind of like in a bubble on a bus, you know? Um, so, but when I did hear that, I, I didn't even know what the fuck they were talking about until <laughs> somebody had to explain it to me. Like, no, hair bands are out now, and so are leads. You don't play lead guitar, and you don't have long hair. I'm like, who the fuck thought of this shit, you know? Yeah. And the next thing I know is anybody that played lead guitar stopped playing lead guitar. I think even Metallica fucking had a few songs that came out that didn't have no lead guitar in them. And I was like, what the hell was going on here, man? You know? Yeah, it was definitely I just didn't a dark time. I didn't get it. That you had to go to that, that extreme, you know, that you, you had to stop. And I remember even having a conversation with my guitar player, Danny. He was like, well, when we start making our next record, maybe we should play less lead guitar. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? <laughs> just because everybody fucking wants to jump off the bridge don't mean we got to jump off with them. Yep, you know? yep. And then kind of so, what happened? Did you? When did you guys, uh, did you phase out, like by 93, or what happened? Yeah, well, uh, the album came out, I think it was February of, I think it was, if I remember right, maybe February of 92. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. And yeah. I think we got dropped around, shit, around March or April of 93, mm-hmm. June of 93, I think it was. And that's when everybody got dropped. Yeah. You know? People people were dropping like flies. Every band was dropping like flies before us, and we kept thinking, no, man, Clive loves us. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> we had a pretty good relationship with Clive. Really, he's not going to let us go, man. And, and sure enough, man, we started hearing whispers like, oh, man, we're going to go. But, but we were thinking like, well, the bands are getting, I mean, Warren even got dropped before us, you know. Right. Like, How could they get dropped? They could have sold two million records or whatever, you know. And then uh, and then they cut the shit, shit with us, you know. It was like, yeah, we know we had a 10, uh, 10 record record deal with you guys, but uh, no, we're not making another one. Here's some money. Go away. Oh, so you had, you know? they had a, it was a 10 record deal? Yeah, we had a 10 record deal. Wow. Yep. So we, we thought we were going to be there for a long time, you know. And then everybody climbs in with their tail between their legs, and they go home and cry to mommy, and, oh, fuck, what are we going to do? None of us had jobs, you know. Right, right. We've been playing music for, we moved down to L.A. in 88, you know, so we, we've we been playing music and living down there and for when we weren't on the road for, you know, five or six years, whatever the hell it was. And then we all had to come back to the Bay Area and start all over and, become different human beings really because the music business was over you know for the our, our genre of music it was basically dead in the water there wasn't nothing you could really do and at that time i think there might have been like a recession going on and all the clubs were closing it was just a really shitty period i remember like 93 94 95 really sucked you know and, and I, if you remember even the music that was coming out was really wasn't really grunge anymore it was really kind of downer kind of music and yeah. everything and oh woe is me and all this shit you remember that yeah it was kind of blah it was a blah period yeah it was like that you know it was really downer so we, of course we were all down too like what's the point of going on you know you kind of get in that and so everybody you know but we, we became men you know before that we were just a bunch of fucking college fucking like a college frat boy team you know what I mean yeah. a bunch of just drunken partying having fun fucking and going crazy and doing whatever you want, you know, night and day, you know? Mm-hmm. Night turned into day and day turned into night. You really didn't know which one was which most of the time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Did, did you form so, any, uh, did you ever do another band or anything? Yeah. Did you have any other projects that you did during that period? Uh, You know, I, shit, man, I almost gave it up for a couple of years. Did you? Seriously, you know, I, I got married and I 
had a kid and I, I got in a painter's unit and became a painter, you know, I felt, it just felt really weird to have a regular job, you know? Yeah. Um, but it just became like a normal Joe for a while, you know, maybe for about four years. I was just like a normal guy. There was, I didn't really play anymore. I played acoustic at my house and, you know, fooled around and wrote some songs and I built my recording studio and I just started writing songs and they were really poppy. They really weren't Babylon East type of songs. They're really poppy type of songs. And then I did some blues stuff with a couple cats and I, I played in Moonshine. I don't know if you've ever heard that the mm-hmm. band Moonshine, no. but I played with them for about two years. Uh, that was that was a great band. I mean, Michael Anthony from Van Halen uh, really helped us out. He was uh, he kind of like a co-manager of the band. Um, you know, we, we we got seen by quite a bit, bit of labels, and we thought we might might get a deal too. And that was about '95. You know, and that it was like a southern rock. It was really really cool band. You know, B3 organ and slide guitar and. You know, we, it was a shit kicking southern rock type of band. Look it up, man, if you've never heard of it. It's called Moonshine. It's a really, really good album. So uh, I sat on that record for like 15 freaking years. You know, I had wow. the record. I had the tracks. I had everything, you know, and uh, we didn't get a deal. So I just said, fuck it. You know, I kept all the songs. And then about three or four years ago, I called up uh, the guitar players. And I said, hey, you guys want to release this shit? And they said, fuck yeah, go ahead, man. I said, all right. So I released it. I tell you what, it, it's the funniest thing, man. That record still sounds great right now today. You know, I mean, we did it at Eddie Van Halen's house, 5150 Studios. Mm-hmm. Jane Child sang on it. Um, Michael Anthony sang on it. Um, what the hell's his name? Uh, uh, losing my train of thought. But uh, there was a couple of big producers that produced it. And this was all free, basically. They just gave it to us for free. Wow. You know, because they believed in the band so much. Yeah. It was really, really super... Uh, it was, it was two years of a really good time, you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, I don't know, you know, what can I say? It was, it was a great band. I kind of wish that band was still together. I'll be honest, looking back how good it was, you know? Well, let's, uh, fast forward a little bit to 2017. You guys did revelation highway and, uh, it's got the classic Babylon AD sound on it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, I kind of think so. You know, um, we, we, Pulled out some songs. Uh, John Matthews came back in the band because uh, Danny really didn't want to move forward anymore. So John Matthews, who was the original guitar player who played on part of the first album and then left and then Danny got in the band. Uh, you know, we, we had good songs, man, when we first got the, our record deal with Arista. So we pulled about, I think, three or four of those out of the hat uh-huh. that we had years ago that we put that we had demoed, you know. And we just kind of beefed them up and... and uh, you know, we rewrote a little bit parts here and there and stem stuff like that. Um, and then we put the, the new songs together with them. So, um, so that maybe that's why it has kind of like a classic Babylon AD sound, you know, cause it, 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 some of the songs were written actually in like 88, 87 and shit, you know what uh-huh. I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I thought that was a really, really good album. Man. I was really happy with the whole, the whole thing. But then again, you know, it's like not enough people are buying the, buying hard rock nowadays, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to find that niche, you know, really hard to find that niche. Yeah, it know? definitely is. And I've had this conversation with a lot of people and, uh, you know, even like the United States is a, is a, is a kind of an issue where you can go over to Europe and you can play big festivals yeah. and those people are really rabid yeah. for heavy metal. And here it's just, it's just not there. It's unfortunate. I know, man, we go over to Germany and we're a big band. <laughs> we it's come crazy, back to, right? You know, and it's like, Hey, there's 50 people out there. Hey, what's up? You know, yeah. it's really strange, man. Yeah, over there in Germany and uh, England and places like that, man, they, 
they love their bands, man. They they are fans to the to the to the death, man. They got their patches on, their jackets, and they're going for it, man. Just like it was here in like seventies and eighties, you know. But uh, yeah, it's 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 so weird how the United States is kind of just like zapped by everything, and we're into such like electronical rap type of poppy shit that doesn't even make any doesn't really have any musical value to me. No, but then again, my my son keeps saying that I'm getting old. That's why, and I'm like, no, it's just that I know good music and you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what's funny is that kids have to kind of if if they want something that's rock or something interesting, they have to gravitate to the old bands. Uh, my kids are all teenagers. My kids are all teenagers, and they love the Beatles. You know what I mean? So it's like uh, you, yeah. can't, you can't get any better than that. So so they got good taste in music, and uh, I think there's a lot of kids out there that go after you know ACDC and and Kiss and all that kind of stuff yeah. because there's nothing that is, like that. That is true. There's nothing. That like is it. true. They they um they 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 find that niche. You know, uh, I know my nephew. Two of my nephews did, and they, they don't even listen to anything that these, that my my sons listen to. You know, a completely different polarized world, and and they're listening to old '80s shit that we that I played. Yeah. You know, but my sons aren't. <laughs> They're listening to the electronic, like I said, whatever <laughs> flavor of the month is. You know, and you're like, uh, so disappointing, man. Well, I think that's why I kind of, that's why I have the podcast and that's what I do on my Twitter. I, I've, as an adult, I mean, I've gravitated back to the 80s because to me, it was a great time. Tons of great music, yeah. great memories, and I just try to keep it alive. I understand that it's not going to be, you know, number one again or anything like that. But uh, people love right. it. You know, it's it's nostalgia and uh, it reminds us of good times. And it's it's and it, like you said, albums like yours, I can go back. It still sounds incredible to my ears. So hey, man, I'm going to keep going with it. You know what was great? I don't know if you've seen this, but have you seen this documentary? I think I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon or, or Netflix, one or the other. Um, it's called uh, the Rainbow. No, have you seen it? No, I haven't seen Man, it. Man, it's all about the it's all about the rainbow and the whiskey, and it has it, it is so cool to watch, man, because it has all the footage from back in the day. It has interviews with Slash and almost anybody you could think of, and they talk about the owners who started it, like in 1956. The, the, um, the, they started at the whiskey, and then they moved over the rainbow, and they talk about you know. Everybody that they met, Jim Morrison, I mean, anyone you could think of that was a rock star, they hung out with, they partied with, they were there when Janis Chaplin died, all this shit, you know? Wow. This is the family that basically owned the whiskey and then they owned the rainbow, you know? Uh, it, it's a great, it, it's so cool, man, because it has, it, it just brought back so much, so many memories to me because they showed so much video footage of like when we were there. You know, the crowds down the street, got thousands of people just on the street on a Wednesday night, just blocking traffic. You know, everybody giving out flyers and bands playing everywhere. It was really, really super cool, man. So it's kind of like the history of the rainbow. And then they throw in the whiskey in there, too, you know? That's, that and sounds the cool. And a few other places. Yeah, it's really cool. It's, it's almost like they should have just called it the Hollywood Sunset Strip. Uh-huh, That's what yeah. they should have called it, you know? <laughs> well, man, what do you got to say to your fans in closing here? What do you want to say? Well, I just want to say, um, I'd like to say thanks to everybody that's still around and still listening to, you know, Babylon D type of music. And, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's good to know that there's still fans out there. It really, really is. You know, it keeps my fire burning, you know. Um, me, I personally, I like to experiment with a lot of different types of stuff. So if you uh, like Babylon AD, you know, give my give my music a chance. It's still my voice. You know, I just like to experiment and try different stuff. You know what I mean? I'm not, I don't like to be pigeonholed. But, uh you know, I, I, what the funny thing is, most of the people that hear my stuff, um, you know, the moonshine stuff that I put out a while back, this this last album, 
Um, you know, even the Revolutionary Soul album that I put out about four years ago, uh, I, I get nothing but great um, reviews and, and great um, respect for that kind of stuff. And it keeps me going. You know what I mean? I don't want to quit, you know, but if everybody said, ah, oh, you better give it up, I might. <laughs> right. You know? Well, hey, and I forgot to mention this, man. And, your voice still sounds killer. Like on that new stuff that I've been listening to of yours, your voice is intact. Yeah. So everybody's got to check it out. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Well, hey, Derek, thanks for the conversation, man. Stay safe and be healthy. Okay, brother. Good talking to you. Thank you. Yep. Take care. Well, that was a cool interview with Derek. I apologize if I didn't know what the hell I was talking about at that one point with their second album. But hey, it happens. Hope you enjoyed it. Rock on.